our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask, Father, please make us instruments by which your will will be done. The evidences of the things happening around us suggests to us that your coming is very near. And therefore, Lord, as we fellowship with you now, we pray, please, inspire in us faith and the strength that can bear the things that are coming ahead of us. Help us, Lord, that as we go through your word now, the gift of the Holy Spirit shall be granted to all of us so that we may rightly divide the word of truth. And I pray for myself, Lord, please consecrate me to your service for the sake of your children and for the sake of our Lord Jesus that died for our sins. Use me as an instrument and put your words in my mouth to bless everyone who is listening. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 19 Religious Liberty But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 4 verse 19 and 20 on the day following the healing of the cripple in Acts chapter 3, Annas and Caiaphas, with the other dignitaries of the temple, met together for the trial, and the prisoners Peter and John were brought before them. In that very room, before some of those very men, Peter had shamefully denied his Lord. This came distinctly to his mind as he appeared for his own trial. He now had an opportunity of redeeming his cowardice. But the Peter who denied Christ in the hour of his greatest need was impulsive and self-confident, differing widely from the Peter who was brought before the Sanhedrin for examination. Since his fall, he had been converted. He was no longer proud and boastful but modest and self-distrustful. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and by the help of this power, he, he was resolved to remove the stain of his apostasy by honoring the name he had once disowned. The principle for which the disciples stood so fearlessly when in answer to the command not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, they declared, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, is the same that the adherents of the gospel struggled to maintain in the days of the Reformation. This principle, we in our day are firmly to maintain. The banner of truth and religious liberty held aloft by the founders of the Gospel Church and by God's witnesses during the centuries that have passed since then has in this last conflict been committed to our hands. 
we are to recognize human government as an ordinance of divine appointment and teach obedience to it as a sacred duty within its legitimate sphere. But when its claims conflict with the claims of God, we must obey God rather than men. God's word must be recognized as above all human legislation. A thus saith the Lord is not to be set aside for a thus saith the church or a thus saith the state. The crown of Christ is to be lifted above the diadems of earthly potentates. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Religious Liberty. In our previous devotion, we looked at Thomas the Doubter and beautiful lessons, I believe, we learned from there, especially when we look at the way of salvation. You know, the purpose for which the sanctuary was erected was to deal with the sin problem. The sins of the children of Israel enters into that sanctuary and the lamb, the Passover lamb, as we saw, represents Jesus who takes away the sins of the world, through whom the children of Israel were released from the bondage of sin, which was Egypt. So also today, if we must have salvation through Jesus, we must go through the sanctuary. The way of the Lord is in the sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, the feasts ordained, beginning with the Passover, we must experience, which is accept Jesus as your Passover. Accept him, the next feast, as the unliving bread. And then you will have eternal life when you will be revealed. When Christ comes, whether you have died, you will resurrect as part of those who are benefactors of the believing in the Savior. And also, if you are alive, you will be changed and you would have eternal life. These three feasts we saw yesterday. But then, there are seven of these festivals. Well, we call them three feasts. The Unliving Bread, the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost, and the last one being the Feast of Tabernacles, divided into three also, Trumpets, Atonement, and the Tabernacles. Now, after the Unliving Bread or Passover Feast, which we've seen divided into three, we have the next one, the Feast of weeks also known as the passover recall that after the resurrection of jesus he stayed 40 days in which a good part of these days were used to break down the word of god to his disciples to make them understand what had actually taken place and make them see both his role and their role in the grand scheme of events and also he was explaining to them the next steps that were to be taken now he was about to ascend the book of Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 6, it says, And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now verse 8 says something that was pointing to the next feast, which is the feast of weeks of Pentecost. In verse 8 he said, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the world. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, 
behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Amen. Those who had resurrected with Jesus, which we talked about yesterday, went to heaven with him as a part of the first fruits, and the stage was set for the next major event that would take place for the salvation of man. Like I've already said, this is called the Feast of Weeks or the Pentecost. So what does the Bible say about the Pentecost? Leviticus 23 verse 15 and 16 says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath being referred to here is the Feast of Unleavened Breads, the first day. From the day, that is the 15th, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, even uh, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. That is 49 days. Seven Sabbaths is 49 days. Even unto the next day after the seventh Sabbath, that is 50 days now, shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So that's why the day is called Pentecost. The word pent is five. Pentecost means 50 days. 50 days after the unleavened bread is to be the day of Pentecost. And Jesus had promised their, the disciples that they were to wait, that power was going to come to them for one purpose, so that they can be witnesses. Go back Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, so that you shall be witnesses to the whole world. Now, how were they going to be witnesses to the whole world? The Lord was about to do a great miracle. Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 4. But being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, how many days had gone? Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 1 and 2 tells us, Until the day which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles, he had chosen, verse 3 then says, to whom he had showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days. How many days is Pentecost after the unleavened bread, which is the burial of Jesus? It's supposed to be 50 days. Jesus has said 40 days. So 10 days was remaining. And Jesus said to them, wait till that day will come. And then the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And he says, not many days. In the book of Acts 2, now we see this being fulfilled. Reading from verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven thongs like as of fire. And it sat upon each one of them each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now it's on this that many people go on a slippery slope and say oh these other tongues are things that people cannot understand but the bible does not teach that jesus had clearly said to them the purpose for the holy spirit coming upon them and the purpose is written in acts chapter 1 verse 8 so that they can be witnesses what does it mean to be a witness? To preach to all the world, Samaria, Judea, and all other parts of the earth. Now, how were they going to do this? They couldn't do it being able to speak only one language, one tongue. They needed the gift of the Holy Spirit to do this miracle for them, for them to be witnesses all over the world. So the Holy Spirit gave them the power and they were speaking other tongues. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 2 now says, And they were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, 
devout men out of every nation under heaven. Mark those words. The Jews lived all over the world. But the Feast of Pentecost is a feast that the Lord required all the Jews all over the world to come to Jerusalem. That was the law that they were to come to Jerusalem and observe the Feast of Pentecost. So that is why at this time it says there were Jews, devout men from, that were scattered in all the nations under heaven. Now see what happened, verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitudes came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Take note, before the word tongue was used, now the word being used is language interchangeably. So what is the meaning of speaking in tongues? Speaking in other languages, not even speaking in tongues. It says here speaking in other tongues as verse 4. Now verse 6 says speaking in his own language, verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and, and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia. That's a very big thing to say. Asia. You know what Asia is? You are talking of China. You are talking of um, Japan. Everywhere. Because we are told that the Jews came from all over the world. Going on, verse 10 says, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya and about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. It's not over yet. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Then Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven, and signs in the earth, beneath blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Amen. And Peter continued to preach to them. And you see that lesson we did yesterday? Peter did it for them. He showed them from scripture to scripture. Remember that these are people living all over the world. Many of them, they had come previous year for the Passover. So some of them had known Jesus. They had also come for the Feast of Unliving Bread and for the Pentecost in the previous year. And they had come for the tabernacles the previous year. So remember in John 7, Jesus was at the tabernacles and preached to the people. Some of them knew of Jesus. Others had never heard, but others had heard. They knew that there was this man in Jerusalem who was doing wonderful works. So when Peter reminded them, do you remember that man Jesus which you saw last year in the Feast of Tabernacles? Do you remember him two years ago in the Passover when he cleansed the temple? Do you remember him? that man was the messiah and he didn't prove to them by jesus pierced hands and his pierced side and crown of thorns how did he prove it from scripture 
to scripture. He showed them how Jesus was spoken of in the Psalms and the prophets and in the law of Moses. And what was the result? The result was that many of these people believed. 3,000 of them, devout Jews, they baptized that day. Amen. Thus, a new church was growing and these will later be called the Christians, believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And then God's church began to grow. But this church did not grow without opposition. Because the works of these people were becoming so prominent, some things will begin to happen. The book of Acts chapter 3, reading from verse 1 now, says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee, such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the People saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Amen. The Lord was blessing the ministry of the apostles, bringing attention to the gospel that through Peter and John, he magnified them and also the other apostles, that people may listen. Now, Peter took this opportunity from verse 11 there to preach to them concerning the things of God. In verse 18, he said, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, do you see that? He had learned of Jesus, that Christ should suffer, he had so fulfilled. So what did Peter do again? He went through that study of what Jesus taught them from the prophets, from the Psalms and the law of Moses to preach to them concerning the Lord Jesus. And then verse 19, he then told them, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God had spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Amen. But this thing they did was not something pleasant to the Pharisees and to the chief priests. Remember, these were the people that killed Jesus, Caiaphas, Annas, and their cohorts. Acts 4 verse 1 now says, And as they speak unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. You know, Sadducees don't like miracles. They hate it. It says, Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Remember, they hate that resurrection preaching. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit, 
many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. Amen. 5,000 added. Caiaphas and Annas were losing ground. These were thousands of people believing in Jesus right now. Verse 5 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. Does his name ring a bell to you? John and Alexander. John Hycanus, Alexander Janus. Those names of those Sadducees and Pharisees that spoils the Jewish community at the time. They were still naming themselves by those names. It says, And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had fe- they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8, Then Peter, not filled with self-confidence, not filled with a sense of his own power like he did before when he was charging Jesus and saying, I will not deny you, I will not deny you. He was filled, filled with self that time, filled with self-confidence. But this time, verse 8, Peter filled not with self-confidence but with the Holy Ghost said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Amen. And like we read in our devotion, this was an opportunity for Peter to redeem himself. And so, not with self-confidence now, but filled with the Holy Ghost, he spoke. He denied Jesus in this very place where he was standing right now. But this time, he publicly proclaimed and had the opportunity to confess Christ. And I pray that the Lord will give every one of us who have denied Jesus in one way or another an opportunity to confess him that we may revenge our disobedience when our obedience is complete. May that be our experience. Peter had it and I pray you also have it. Peter preached to them about Jesus. Now in verse 13 he says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had communed together, when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle had been done by them. It's manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Poor Pharisees, poor priests, only for them to accept Jesus is such a problem, even in light of such a great miracle. By the way, this man at the gate is somebody they knew. Remember when Jesus healed the blind man? They were questioning the man, are you sure you are blind? Are you lying that you were blind? And the man was like, I'm blind. I was blind. I, now I can see. Do you also want to believe in Jesus? And they cast the man out of the temple. This time they couldn't do this because everybody knew this lame man. He was somebody whose leg was impotent. His mother always carried him to that gate. They knew. They usually dropped money for, me, for him. He was perhaps more popular than that blind man. Now they couldn't deny this one. There was no questioning of this lame man. There was no question of it. They looked at him and said, we can't ask this man questions. We know this man was lame. What do we do believe in him that's what you are to do believe in jesus but no these men you can see clearly that the devil had taken over caiaphas and annas and there was no turning back for them they had 
put themselves against Jesus Christ. They hated him, even if evidences were there to show that this man is the Messiah, both by the preaching of John and Peter and even by the miracles and signs and wonders done by both Jesus and the apostles. It was enough to convince them, but no, they will not be convinced. The devil had filled them with covetousness, envy and jealousy and they, they chose rather to threaten Peter and John. And here comes another lesson for us today, a lesson of liberty of conscience, religious liberty. How will they respond to this threat? How will Peter respond? Verse 19. These are famous words that we should cherish in our hearts. The words of Peter. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Amen. And now it says in our devotion complete on courage page 239 paragraph 5 this principle in our day we are firmly to maintain the banner of truth and religious liberty held aloft by the founders of the gospel church and by God's witnesses during the centuries that have passed since then has in this last conflict been committed to our hands end of quote this doesn't mean that we are to disobey laws of the land. No, the laws of the land ordained by God that do not clash with the laws of God, we are to obey. Peter himself wrote in 1 Peter 2 verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of god honor all men love the brotherhood fear god honor the king servants be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle but also to the froward, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when you be perfected for your fault you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Amen. So, this issue of religious liberty will continue to be a major issue for a long time and even it is an issue till today. But what are we to say? We are to obey the laws of the land. Yes, as we read in the devotion for today, um, reading from Conflict and Courage, page 329, paragraph 5, it says we are to recognize human government as an ordinance of divine appointment and teach obedience to it as a sacred duty within its legitimate sphere. But when its claims conflict to the claims of God, we must obey God rather than men. God's word must be recognized above all human legislation. So there are two things to teach here. It is not just to teach obedience to God, but part of our Christian duty is to let tell the people, as far as the laws given by the government is, is not conflicting with God's law. You may say, oh, it's not good. It is not just and this and that. Fine. But does it conflict with God's law? Is it telling you not to obey God? As far as it's not telling you not to do your duty towards God, then, and also your duty towards man, then obey that law. But if you see that it is stopping you from doing your duty towards man and God, then that law should not be obeyed. An example of a law that once was, that was stopping people from doing their duty towards their fellow men was the law 
that was in America at the time in the 1800s that said that if a slave runs away from his master, that they should catch that slave and return the slave to his master. That law should not be obeyed. If a law comes that tells you to do wrong, don't obey. But if it is a law that tells you to do something that the word of God does not come against, you are wrong if you disobey it. But secondly, the main one of religious liberty that I just read now, the law of God is supreme and nothing we are to use as an excuse, uh, maybe the government's laws as a reason why we should not obey. Like we read, the reformers, they stood upon this ground of religious liberty and it was them that helped us to understand even till today because once upon a time, even from these days of the apostles, it got worse and worse. Religious liberty was trying, um, the, the devil was trying to take away the people's religious liberty. And what does religious liberty mean? I'll read now. There was a man called John Robinson who clearly wrote out what this means. When he went to the US because in the US, people were running away from Europe to the US to have religious liberty so they can worship God freely because in, the, in Europe, the Pope was punishing anyone who doesn't f- obey God or follow the ordinances of the church the way they wanted it to. Many people were killed, millions, and they ran to the US. But even in the US, people were beginning to become intolerant towards other people's religious views. This man, Roger Williams, came there. It says in Great Controversy, page 293, paragraph 1, like the early pilgrims, he came to enjoy religious freedom. But unlike them, he saw what so few in his time had yet seen, that this freedom was the inalienable right of all, whatever might be their creed. He was an earnest seeker for truth, with Robinson holding it impossible that all the light from God's word had yet been received. Williams was the first person in modern Christendom to establish civil government on the doctrine of the liberty of conscience, the equality of opinions before the law. He declared it to be the duty of the magistrate to restrain crime but never to control the conscience. The public or the magistrates may decide, he said, what is due from man to man. But when they attempt to prescribe a man's duties to God, they are out of place and there can be no safety. For it is clear that if the magistrate has the power, he may decree one set of opinions or beliefs today and another tomorrow, as has been done in England by different kings and queens and by different popes and councils in the Roman Church, so that belief will become a heap of confusion." End of quote. We are coming to a time when this will still be a huge issue. We must understand our rights under God in the most lowly and in the highest places. Like Peter, there are some who will not find it hard to stand before kings and popes and to say, here I stand and I can do no other, so help me God. But when they face little temptations from their wives, brothers or friends, they become apologetic. They make compromises in their faith even without a compulsion. Not wanting to have friction with friends, they violate their conscience and compromise their faith. Example, an example is when we uh, come before our friends and they require us to do something that we know that is violates our conscience. There are some people, they forget that they have liberty of conscience and they feel like, oh, I don't want to offend my mother. I don't want to offend my friend. I don't want to offend my boss. And then they compromise. We must not fear to offend man because we must fear to offend God. 
we must make the principles of our faith prominent and when opportunities present itself for such, we are not to wriggle ourselves away from the inconvenience of making our faith to be known. Conflict and Courage, page 329, paragraph 5, said to us, We are to recognize human governance as an ordinance of divine appointment and teach obedience to it, but, but as a sacred duty, when it is legitimate, within this legitimate sphere. But it, when its claims conflict with the claims of God, we must obey God rather than men. A thought said the Lord is not to be set aside for a thought said the church or a thought said the state. The crown of Christ is to be lifted above the diadems of earthly potentates. End of quote. And we are to understand this. Wherever you are, do not be afraid to have friction because of your faith. Some people don't want any inconvenience with their brother or with their sister. And when they require them, oh, go and wash this car for me on Sabbath. They find it hard to say no. Go and iron that cloth on Sabbath. Go and... Um, take this transport on uh, with me on, on Sabbath. They, they don't want to say clearly, look, I cannot do this. They are afraid of saying it because they don't want to have friction with the people they are living with or they don't want to have friction with their friends. They would rather run away from the situation that will arouse that question. That's what many people do. And when the question is aroused, instead of giving an answer by their character and by their words, they rather compromise. If you cannot stand before these little trials will you stand before the great one we must learn that we have liberty of conscience not just when we are relating with the government but even when we are relating with family and friends and colleagues reading again from great controversy page 294 paragraph 1 to understand this concept of the liberty of conscience in the days of Roger Williams, there were things that were happening and he had to address the issue. It says, Attendance at the services of the established church was required under a penalty of fine or imprisonment. Williams reprobated the law. The worst statute in the English code was that which did but enforce attendance upon the parish church to compel men to unite with those of a different creed he regarded as an open violation of their natural rights to drag to public worship the irreligious and the unwilling seemed only like requiring hypocrisy. No one should be bound to worship or, he added, to maintain a worship against his own consent. What, exclaimed his antagonist, amazed at the tenets, it's not the laborer worthy of his hire? Yes, replied he, from them that hire him. And also in page 295, paragraph 3, then it was written, The framers of the Constitution recognized the eternal principle, that's the U.S. Constitution, recognized the eternal principle that man's relation with his God is above human legislation and his rights of conscience inalienable. Reasoning was not necessary to establish this truth. We are conscious of it in our own bosoms. It is this consciousness which, in defiance of human laws, has sustained so many martyrs in tortures and flames. They felt that their duty to God was superior to human enactments and that man could exercise no authority over their consciences. It is an inborn principle which nothing can eradicate. End of quote. And this is the lesson that we learned for today. You must realize that no one can force you to violate the law of God. Only you can do that to yourself. The threat of death, the threat of imprisonment, the threat of loss of whatever kind, the threat of persecution and torture is not an excuse for us to disobey God. 
and that as it was not an excuse for Peter and John, they did not say, oh, listen, since the government has said, the rulers have said we should not preach in the name of Jesus. And they asked the question, whether it be right for us to obey you or to obey God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things that we have heard, and that should be the same principle for us. We cannot but live out and speak the truth which we have learned and which we have heard, regardless of the consequences, because we must confess Christ. May God give us the grace to realize this freedom of our conscience to obey God, and at the same time, to maintain that the laws of the land are to obey sacredly as far as they do not conflict with the law of God. The Lord bless you as you do that. Let us pray. Dear Lord in heaven, please open our eyes that we may understand more clearly this matter of the religious liberty and liberty of conscience. Forgive us for the times we have compromised with the excuse that we are trying to obey the government or friends or colleagues or bosses or the church. Help us now, Lord, to realize our own freedom in the Lord and not to be afraid to confess you regardless of the consequences. Times that are hard are coming ahead of us. We would require a faith and boldness like that of Peter and John. Please, Lord, help us to develop such a faith even now that we may give glory to your name. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Will you fill me up, bread of heaven, fill me, enlighten me, bright and morning star, build me up, master builder, build me, empower me, mighty great I am. They dole you out on the raging sea Swallow me up when a soul should be Roll me round in the depths of hell Sin and guilt like a prison cell And when I've reached it can take no more You pull me out safely to the
Brighten me, brighten morning star. Build me up, master builder. Build me, empower me, mighty great I am. And heal me up, great physician. Heal me, inhabit me, gentle comforter. Use me up, holy master. Use me, empower me. Mighty great.